Hello everyone, this is Tony Kramer, product specialist with RDO Equipment Company, and you are listening to the Agriculture Technology Podcast. Every day there are phenomenal advancements being made in the field of agriculture technology. RDO Equipment Company is a leader in agriculture equipment and precision agriculture technology and is here with industry experts bringing the latest news and information from RDO and John Deere. Thanks for joining us on the Agriculture Technology Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is episode 68 and part two of our podcast with Terry Griffin talking about big data. Before we get started, make sure to follow RDO Equipment Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and catch all of our latest videos on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at RDO Tony K. As you may know, there are a lot of different ways to listen to this podcast. We're streaming this out on our website, it's on SoundCloud, and many other podcasting apps. Most of you are listening on Apple's podcasting app, and you may have noticed that they recently updated the app. It is now easier than ever to leave us a review. If you click on our show in the app and scroll to the bottom, there's a write a review button. We'd really like to hear from you so we can continue growing and improving the show. Reviews also help new listeners find our content. With that, let's get back to the show. I'm really excited to continue my conversation with Terry Griffin from Kansas State University talking about big data. This is part two of a series, so if you haven't listened to the first episode, I would really recommend going back and giving that a listen before you jump into part two that we're about to go through now. Terry, we left off talking about big data primarily in the agriculture industry. We talked a lot about the different types of data being collected. One of the things that we didn't talk about is how do we manage all of the data that's being collected? I know you have a really interesting theory about this, but how do you manage all the data on individual farms or even at the level of big data? Yeah, this is very interesting. And actually, to me, I think this is sort of a barrier uh, that we need to solve before we move forward in either small data or big data. It's amazing to me how many fairly large companies will come and ask questions like, do you guys at the university teach students how to do X, Y, or Z? And those could be stuff like you know, manually getting yield monitor data off of a combine, you know, just the raw data off, off the yield monitor. At one point we were using MC, or what was this called? It's the original flash media. Then we're using compact flash. And then you know, now it, 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 you can actually move it wirelessly through, through some sort of telematics. Uh, we get questions like that. There's a big need simply moving data from machines to a computer. In my mind, that's not a sustainable practice because there are way too many machines out there and not enough people to do this. And I don't expect farmers to be the ones who are flipping switches and moving data cards around because you know, you know most farmers would admit they didn't become farmers to sit behind a laptop screen and you know do things like that you know they're, they're farmers to to produce crops and livestock and so we're going to have to find ways to, of moving that data from the sensors from machines wirelessly to somewhere even if it's in small data one field at a time that data needs to be able to be moved passively otherwise there's too much room for human error to, to take place 
they can imagine we extrapolate that step further. No longer are we worried about one field at a time. We're trying to get it to a community. Well, now, if, if we're doing that, there are people, large companies, that have a vested interest in making this happen. So they're probably going to offer more services, more human capital, more computer services to get that data moved to a place, the cloud, such that it can be analyzed with those big data analytics that those companies are interested in, in providing. Now, there, there is a kind of crux in the issue that before this community can exist, the individual farmers will have to do one of a few things. One of them would be trust these companies to, to do the right thing for the farmer uh, with, with this data. Or it could go to the extreme of becomes completely passive such that the farmer doesn't have to make any decisions about who gets permission to, to access the data or even to even know it's flowing. And go back to the General Motors example. You know, I knew I had OnStar. I knew that I could pay a subscription every month and I could share in the data usage. I would get emails about if my tire pressure was low. I didn't really think that at the time, but even if I don't pay the subscription fee, General Motors is still collecting that data. They didn't collect the data just to resell it to me. They were collecting the data for a completely different purpose and decided that for a small fee, they would allow me to share in the use of that data. And sort of the same idea in that there's the value capture at the farm level that may be different than at the retail level, at the manufacturer level, and at the whoever you know, the, the big data company is, which is still un, unseen who will be the you know, the last three players out of the you know, potentially dozens or hundreds we have today. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And like you said, with, with the General Motors, trust is really that key word is understanding why that data is being collected what it's being utilized for and how it's going to help, whether it's your farm or, or you with your General Motors pickup just in your personal life. You mentioned a little earlier, Terry, that not just the ag industry is utilizing big data and it, it happens all over the world. What are a few other examples of where big data comes into play? Sure. You know, we mentioned automobiles. And there are groups um, I've read about, in, in especially Europe, that that are providing data over to to central uh, communities. And, and the idea there, they're they're collaborating across uh, manufacture of cars to improve safety uh, of all cars, not only the safety of the cars, but also safety of the highways and the roundabouts and the intersections. In the United States, one of the early examples was uh, transportation. You know, we have uh, several, you know, FedEx, UPS, post office. I believe it was UPS that had started a company and they spun it off. I think the, the rationale for that was so FedEx would participate. And and that made a good example of how data from transportation logistics uh, could be used uh, in a big data context. Many of you have seen the movie or read a book about Moneyball. I would argue that that's uh, big data. You know, how can scouts do a better job of selecting potential baseball players for a team? And not only on the traditional way of, hey, does this player person look like a baseball player versus looking at specific stats that correlate with success? Although on the surface, it didn't make any sense. 
So we sit in sports, transportation, automobile manufacturing, and, you know, agriculture is not a small industry. You, know, you think about Walmart, you know, my home state of Arkansas, Walmart has big influence on, on the university. And, and just kind of tangentially being and watching that process, you think about a company that can generate billions of barcode scanner data points a day, maybe an hour, I don't know. And that's a whole lot of data. And if you can tag that back to credit card information or at least a, you know, one of those a loyal shopper reward programs, then you can figure out a whole lot of things about what people buy and when and why. Yeah, there's just a ton of stuff that goes into big data. And like you said, the food industry, the automobile industry, safety in the automobile industry, it really plays a major role in in life today that a lot of times we don't ever think about. We've talked about big data. We talked about the Internet of Things and all those different sensors and everything that we can collect there. Before I let you go, Terry, tell us a little bit about the research and extension work that you're doing right now around agriculture economics, precision agriculture, and then this ongoing research of big data. Share with us just a little bit of, of what you're doing down there at Kansas State. So one of the big things I'm doing is kind of what David Schimmelfinnig has been doing at the national level is measuring the proportion of farmers who are using, who have adopted individual pieces of technology, automated guidance, shield monitors, and so forth. There seems to be a lot of disinformation out there saying, hey, everybody has technology A, automated guidance. Well, according to my statistics, not so much. It's still below 80% of, well, right at 80% of Kansas farmers are using automated guidance. And then I have farmers who feel like if they do not have a yield monitor, then they are way behind the curve. Well, and my statistics show that you know, roughly 40% of Kansas farmers have a yield monitor. So it's adding some, well, peace of mind to, to farmers and, and to the industry, hopefully showing the retail side what the potential market looks like moving forward. Uh, I spend a lot of time talking about adoption rates. And also spend some time on the value of big data. People call and ask, well, how much is big data worth? And that's kind of asking somebody, well, how much is your cell phone worth to you, your smartphone? Well, you know, it kind of depends on how you use it. If you're playing Angry Birds, you know, it's the same value as a PlayStation, right? But if you're using it to make business decisions, then it has some sort of higher value. So that's been my struggle of putting a dollar value on how much big data is worth. And the answer is different for the farmer than it is for the local cooperative retailer, for you guys at RDO, for, for deer, for the big data companies. And, and so the, the value of data is, is well, on emphasis, is different for every player. Not only, you know, the group of players, the farmers versus retailers, but also within the farmers, it, you know, one farmer may not have any value, but some it does. And so part of my research is that, and, and I'm asking farmers questions like, well, you know, how much would you pay a data pirate ransom to get your data back if they stole it? And I'm getting some interesting responses there. And then you start asking questions like, well, you know, what if the data pirate doesn't give you the data back, but has agreed not to give it to a, your retailer, your landowner, or an environmental extremist? And you kind of go down this list, and the responses start to change. Like, okay, well, I don't, I wasn't using that data fully, but... So I'm not going to miss it, but I really don't want my neighbor and farmer to get it, or I don't want my 
the manager of my cooperative to get it because I'm afraid that I will lose negotiation power. I'm afraid that I will be at a disadvantage. So that's the type of research I'm doing right now. That's really cool. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, it's such a unique perspective. Everything we talked about in this episode, going back a few episodes, David Schimmelfenig with the USDA, it's a very unique perspective. And until you hear about it and you listen to the research that you guys are doing and the everything that you guys are collecting, it really puts a different light on everything we do in not only the ag industry, but automobile industry and, and food and everything else. So Terry, if there's anybody out there that wants to learn a little bit more about the research you're doing or, or anything you're involved in down there at Kansas State, where can they go to learn more? So anytime I get something uh, completed, I would instantly put it on Twitter. My handle is Space Plowboy. And that's the uh, immediate way. And all my documents that I uh, produce, I will put them on our uh, extension website. We call it agmanager.info. And so that would be a repository for all of our documents. But, you know, for immediate information, you know, follow me on Twitter, Space Plowboy. And honestly, I'll, I'll tell you a secret that won't be a secret after we say this is that a lot of my good ideas are what I see farmers tweeting about on Twitter. And so my research program is impacted by what farmers talk about on social media. So I do watch, I do listen, and a lot of times I will turn that into a good research product. There you go. Terry Griffin himself said it. Ag Twitter is the place to be. So follow him out there on Twitter at Space Plowboy. Thank you very much, Terry, for sitting down with me and kind of chatting about everything that you've done in your research and all of your extension work. I, I was really excited when we got this lined up and, and was really happy that you could sit down and do this with us. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And I appreciate the opportunity. This podcast was produced and edited by Nate Dorsey. Visit audioequipment.com slash podcast to listen to new episodes and catch up on any that you've missed. You can also listen and subscribe to our podcast on Apple and Android devices so that you'll never miss out on the latest news and technology from RDO Equipment and John Deere. If you really like this podcast, please share it on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or any of the other social media platforms that you are using. You can also connect with me on Twitter at RDO Tony K. That's at R-D-O-T-O-N-Y-K where you can tweet me questions, episode feedback, or ideas for future topics to cover. Please join us next time on the Agriculture Technology Podcast.